Welcome to Star Talk, your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. Star Talk begins right now. Welcome to Star Talk Radio. I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson, your host and your personal astrophysicist. I'm also the director of New York City's Hayden Planetarium at the American Museum of Natural History. What you're about to hear is the final episode of season seven. Yes, there have been seven seasons of Star Talk. It's part two of our special time capsule show, and we do this every season. What we do is we send out a survey to all our fans, and we ask you to vote for your favorite episodes, co-hosts, guests. From those data, we choose what episodes to splice and glue and staple together, and we end up with a kind of potpourri of Star Talk's best moments. I think of it as a comedic scientific melange. On this, part two of the time capsule, we focus only on our cosmic query episodes. Cosmic queries are what I like to think of as Star Talk after hours. It's a chance for me and my comedic co-host to field and explore, have fun with, but especially just to grapple with the questions posed to us by our very own listeners. And every now and then, we bring in a science guest to help us out. Such was the case with your number one favorite episode, according to your votes, The Multiverse. Here, co-host Chuck Nice and I brought in theoretical physicist Paul Steinhardt of Princeton University to help us untangle some of your questions about multiverse theory. Uh, Matt Eli from Facebook uh, and also from San Antonio, Texas. A uh, little more, uh, he wants to know this, a little more existential. Why should we take the multiverse theory seriously in the first place? Might there be extraordinary evidence for this extraordinary claim? Whoa. He is not the least bit skeptical. Good. <laughs> I like this question. Yeah, so uh, go ahead. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, you got to admit, Paul, to assert multiple universes mm -hmm. is extraordinary. And if you're not on the tail, and you're a theorist, last yes. I checked, so you're not even, well, of, of course, good theorists think of how to test yeah, their hypotheses. You Have you? <laughs> <laughs> How's that for a setup? <laughs> good theorists do this. Right. Or, do you? Yeah. Well, I think I've already sort of played, uh, laid out my cards and said that I think the multiverse is a sign of breakdown of this inflationary idea. It's a failure. It's a failure mode of the theory, something uh -huh. we didn't expect. It wasn't designed to produce a multiverse. It's something we discovered after the fact. And the problem is that because it produces an infinite number of patches of every possible variety, if you ask what the theory predicts, the answer is everything. nothing or everything yeah. or anything. Gotcha. So it's a little bit I, analogous. Yeah, any, if it explains everything, then in fact it explains nothing. Yes, that's what that's so in my view that makes it no longer a scientifically interesting theory. So it's not testable. Even if it's true, it's just not interesting. It's not interesting because anything you'd measure, you could say, "Oh, we live in that patch of the universe," and then you measure something else tomorrow, right. and it doesn't, it fit, doesn't that fit that patch. patch. You say, "Oh, they must we live have in the patch that where patch. both of those are the fact." Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Right, right. And if it's yeah, that makes sense, I mean, yeah. And, and according to the multiverse idea, if it's physically possible, and obviously our physical world is one of the possibilities, then it must exist somewhere. Unless in the we're a simulation. Ooh, oh, no, but the, even that would be part the other of the Oh, there's the... There's the <laughs> <laughs> you can't get away from oh, this. Oh, man. Like that. Drats. <laughs> Once you have a bad idea, you can't get away from it. <laughs> That's funny. Drats. So, All right. So there you have it. Okay. Yeah. Hey, Matt. Uh, nice question. Wait, so you agree 
that it has it doesn't really set the standard yet for a testable theory. I think by construction it does not. And okay. if you read what the proponents of the multiverse say, that's exactly what they'll tell you. Right. They'll, they'll, they, so it's well, not, what about what about the quantum foam uh, bursting forth multiple whole other universes? from the very early universe. And these would be universes that you would be able to see in a higher dimension, but they don't interact and they're perfectly so, happy. So they're separate fabrics. Separate fabrics, yeah. Well, I don't know what to make of that. That's another untestable idea in principle. So uh, it's, it's another version of a... Uh, if it, Well, so there are two possibilities. One possibility is that those different fabric regions have completely different properties, again, like the mm -hmm. multiverse, and you and it's just random chance... Like the patchwork that, multiverse. Like a patchwork multiverse in which you wouldn't... In, in which, again, you... Everything could possibly, everything that could happen will happen, in which case it has no scientific predictive value. Uh, or it could be that you have a theory which says actually the same thing will happen each time, every time you produce one of these fabrics, so that if I, I suddenly transported to the other one, imagine doing that, it would look familiar to me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's a different story. That's right. a predictive theory. Yeah, that is, right. Yeah. But the problem is you can't get there, is what you're saying. Yeah, and, and so it doesn't have a meaningful scientific value. Right. In why, Paul? Could uh, isn't it true for reasons that I never learned because I never took advanced field theory in graduate school? <laughs> but my wife did, and uh -huh. okay, she she has a. a PhD in mathematical I, physics. I know, I know yeah. your wife, and yeah. she's smarter than you. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> um, so, but from what I've been told, gravity is not contained in the space-time in which it is. Formed in which you have it. So, in other words, the the effect of gravity can leak out of whatever is the membrane that is contained and be felt by other universes outside of that. Uh, so, unlike electromagnetic radiation, which is trapped within the space-time. Gravity is not. I've heard that. So I think you're referring to theories like in string theory, you have extra dimensions, mm -hmm. and where we might live in a, in a membrane-like surface, in which we, seem, we think we're living in a world of three space dimensions. Mm -hmm. There's actually extra dimensions, mm -hmm. which we, our particles, can't Access. move there. Yeah. Our light can't move there, so electromagnetic radiation can't move there. But gravity would be felt even along that extra dimension. So that, we, so that for example, if there were another similar membrane parallel to us. Now right. we are thinking about this idea of parallel yeah, no, This is the parallel. Mm -hmm. uh, the, yeah, right. and something were happening over there, it, let's say a matter lumped together to form a, a, a star right. or a black hole or, or something like that, that would be felt, it's gravitational effect. So why isn't that dark here. matter? In our universe. Be, it's Dark matter in our universe would be ordinary matter in a parallel universe that's leaking into ours, and we're mysteriously right. inventing stuff to account for it, when in fact it's just ordinary matter. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a conceivable idea that it could be uh, matter on the other side, and another brain, and another membrane that's a small distance away. It couldn't be like our matter because if it were, uh, it would also, um, when it gravitationally clumped, it would produce radiation, mm -hmm. and that radiation would affect us as well in a way that we know we know there aren't those sources of radiation there. And the dark matter, one of the things about dark matter compared to ordinary matter is dark. Ordinary matter collapses to form stars. It can stick together. Right. And stick together and sits in a halo of very diffuse dark matter. If this dark matter were like us but on the other side, it would also collapse and it wouldn't form the halo, which mm -hmm. we know of dark matter that we observe. 
Typically, fan queries are related to a specific topic, but you all often submit such a range of intriguing and off-the-wall questions that the only appropriate category is, well, no category at all. Random. So on this random edition of Cosmic Queries, comedian Chuck Nice helps me scrape the bottom of the Cosmic Queries barrel, where all the misfit questions wait to be answered. Check it out. Could there be life that exists that could not be classified as either plant nor animal, there's, but still life. There's a famous science fiction story, and forgive me, for I forgot who wrote it, because I don't come in here with notes in well, anticipation of no, You don't of know questions. these questions, so how could you? Right, right. So, so there's a science fiction story where the aliens came upon Earth mm -hmm. and saw that we, there's like muscle tissue, and, right. and they go back to their home planet and says, they're made of meat. <laughs> <laughs> because the aliens, they're made of some spirit energy. Right. Right? And we're made of meat. Right. And another thing that we take for granted, but I can imagine an alien uh, life form that would just freak out. Mm -hmm. Other than salt, other than salt, animals have to kill to consume food. Okay. Other than the consumption of salt. Everything else you eat was once alive. Okay. Right. Well, sorry, was, sorry, sorry. Unless you live off of milk and honey, right? Th those themselves well, were not much alive. Animal, animal it's, byproduct. A, it's an animal byproduct. You have to kill something. Right. And even the vegetarians even the was are alive. slaughtering carrots. That's right. All right? Yeah. And slicing them, dicing them up, and shredding them. Yes. So the fact that we have to kill other life forms on our own planet for our own sustenance could easily be seen as one of the most barbaric things to another civilization where they all absorb energy from their host star. Right. Yes. There you have it. Because they're absorbing and not consuming. Well, they're, and, and, and they're, and they have unlimited, they're not ingesting. In, they're unlimited source of energy from their sun, uh, just like planets, but plants on Earth. Right. They don't have to eat anything. There's some that do, of course, but most don't. The Venus flytrap is carnivorous. And yeah. what's the other one that eats flies that a picture, smells like? A picture plant. So that one, okay, so they're carnivorous. But I all the rest picture plant, are yeah. doing just fine with sunlight. Yeah. And that's uh, that's an awesome way to live, I think. If I were to evolve the human into a, another form, I'd evolve us with solar panels on our skin. Nice. Yeah. Our skin would be one big solar panel. Yeah, and that way getting sunburned, you just recharge your, your energetics. Yes. Yeah. I believe they call that Africans. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying... <laughs> Last I heard, those yeah. that's why they're black. Yep. I say yep. they. Right. <laughs> I just said that's why they're black. <laughs> that's so crazy. All right. Megan Morrissey says, hi, I'm showing for the first time an episode of Cosmos in my high school earth sciences class. Give it up for the teachers of the world. There you go. Mm -hmm. One of my students just asked me if a ship that is designed like a ship of imagination would actually be able to fly into space. Would that be possible? Love your show and thank you. I'm not authorized to say whether I actually own one of these. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, the, the ship of the imagination on purpose has mobility through space and time. And that mobility is empowered by my thoughts. Whoa. So there are no controls. There's no, uh, plus we had a mini discussion with, uh, with Andrewian who specified in the script that the ship would be impossibly minimalist. Right. So I would not be wearing a badge, right. which would imply that I'm captain and you're not. Right. Because you should be able to fly this as well. Exactly. So, so the ship, no, it, it exists completely 
in my imagination as your tour guide. That's so no, there is no attempt to try to make it real. There you go. As there have been with the Starship Enterprise and Absolutely. other sort of sci-fi creations. So anyway, so yeah, it's not uh, it's not real or it can even be imagined to be real. Right. Because it exists in my mind. Nice. As your private tour guide. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Well, uh, we, we, uh, you know what time it is. Uh-oh. It is. I'm so bad at hitting this bell. Let me you. Damn. There we go. Lightning round. Lightning round. Okay. Oh my God. We got a lightning round. Okay. okay. So I'm answering in sound bites because you still have so many I didn't get to. Okay? That's right. Ready, go. Okay, here we mm-hmm. go. Um, Jehovah Barrera wants to know as the sun expands and gets close to the earth, will the what will happen to the earth besides getting really hot? Oh, so the well, well uh, the the story here is that it's getting hot. <laughs> 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 okay, that's the story. Right. All right, so the gravity will be the same. It will still orbit the sun in the same amount of time, but it's, as it gets hot, the oceans will come to a rolling boil and evaporate into the atmosphere. The upper atmosphere will itself evaporate into space right. as we become engulfed by the expanding sun and we become a vaporized ember orbiting deep within Earth's surface. Boom. Have a nice day. From Andrew Lounsbury, who says, this is not relevant to science, but where did Neil get his celestial vest? Ooh, actually, I own about six vests. Okay. And they're for different stages of how wide my belly is at different (laughs) times. (laughs) But the one I'm most most seen in, it was the last vest sold at the gift shop of the Hanson Planetarium in Utah. Oh. In Salt Lake City, Utah, before okay. that closed and reopened in another identity. And in fact, they had no more left, and I bought it off the back of the salesperson. And I've yet to see anyone else wearing this vest ever again. Dad. So, yeah, that's the one. That that person is probably so pissed off. Took right it off now. their back. Like, but they agreed. I didn't take, I didn't steal it off their man, back. Man, give me the vest. <laughs> you know who I am? <laughs> I'm NDT, bitch. No, I'm sorry. Next up, comedic co-host Eugene Merman throws me your cosmic queries about new mysteries in the universe. Denard on Google Plus asks, with slowing investments in space-based science across the board in multiple countries, what effect does this have on limiting human discoveries of our place in the universe? Yeah, that's that's a great question. And if you're going to cut back on science, which is the current which which constitute the current roads of discovery, then just move back into the cave. Yeah. Like, what are you doing? Now, you can vote for that kind of country, but that's not the kind of country I grew up in. Right. We had investments in science and technology. You did not need special programs to convince kids that they should be interested in science. Well, doesn't... It built into the fabric of the media cycles. Well, NASA, for every dollar put into NASA, it returns something like 7 or $8 into... Yeah, I hardly ever cite that calculation because there's a lot of... Or it's not, a, is it ac- somewhat accurate? Yeah, yeah it can be accurate, vague? but it's a matter of what you value that goes into the equation that gets that number. So right. that that's the kind of same calculation you do when you say, well, let's put an opera in town. Yeah. Well, how are we going to support the opera? Well, we don't know. But if you put an opera there, then these stores will open up around the entrance to that opera. Right. And so it's a seeding effect right, that right. many people talk about. But um, but it's, a, it's hard to actually say. It's hard to 
anchor that in a way that if five different people did the same analysis, would they get the same answer? And the answer is no. And that also isn't necessarily the, the scientific discovery is partially its own end, not the fact that... Correct. Yeah. Correct. So Even though some people want you to do it for sure. some purpose, it's really for its own end. And later on, you find out how it really applies. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, Mark Miller, Patreon, he asks... Uh, with the discovery of a black hole expelling some of the matter it had consumed, what forces may be responsible for this unusual behavior? Oh, it's not unusual because it's not coming from within the event horizon. Once you cross over the event horizon, just you know, kiss your ass goodbye. Mm-hmm. So what's actually happening is all this matter is spiraling towards the black hole center, and it can't all get there all at once, and it forms this disk on which all this material accretes. And the disk feeds the black hole on the very inner edge of it. But until, until it gets to that point, you still have this, this, um, this assembly of matter. And as it spirals down, it gets hotter and hotter and hotter, and it begins to radiate. And it radiates so ferociously, it punches out above and below the disk itself. And then you get these jets, mm-hmm. these sp- these these long spewed forth uh, sig- signatures of m- moving matter. And so, so, yes, this happens because all this matter is trying to get down into the same place at the same time, and it's going to fail in doing so. And once you heat up a gas, it's got to radiate somewhere, and it'll do it. It'll do it. Yeah. Oh, it yeah. will. Yeah. <laughs> That's the promise I make to you. <laughs> so, yeah, so most of the exotic galactic center phenomenon we've seen with powerful jets emanating from above and below a galaxy and very intense in all bands of light, radio waves, microwaves, ultraviolet, uh, X-rays. So we have... Um, we have established over the decades that the thing that's causing all that violence in the galaxies are black holes with matter trying to get in there too fast, creating these explosive accretion disks. That's how it comes out of a black hole. Welcome back to Star Talk Radio. I'm your host, Neil deGrasse Tyson. And right now we're in the middle of our final episode of the season. This is a special time capsule edition, which means we're reaching back into the archives of season seven and extracting some of your best love moments and guests according to your votes. Your number one favorite comedic co-host this season, Chuck Nice, returns to ask me your questions about the space race. Let's take a listen. Abhijit Mane mm-hmm. uh, from Facebook wants to know this. The space race was in a way an extension of the Cold War arms race, but also the resolve of President John F. Kennedy, who pledged that we'd get there in 10 years. Do you know anyone today in the political sphere who could do the same? What kind of politician would be ideal in this regard? We go to the moon because we choose to. 
this, that, and the other thing we do because, no, never mind, forget it. <laughs> Chuck, that was your worst impression yeah, ever. It really is. <laughs> and By normally way, you're good. At, you're... I know, but you know what? I'm not even doing Kennedy. I'm actually doing Mayor Quimby <laughs> from The Simpsons, you know? Quote Quimby. Okay. I mean, you, you imitate a TIE fighter from Star Wars. You know? <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Even though you, you I thought know, you, Kennedy would be easy after after that. All yeah, right. yes. So, um, so here's there's an assumption built into that question that the political will and charisma, perhaps, of Kennedy was a significant force operating in how and why we got to the moon, and this is commonly thought. But I I'm contrarian in that regard. Well, good, right? No doubt Kennedy had charisma. No doubt. Uh, he had a sort of way with rallying people behind an idea. No doubt about that. But I submit that if we were not at war, all of that would have just been empty rhetoric and nobody would have signed the check. Con right. Congress, because Congress is not as swayed by speeches as the public is. Absolutely. All right? And so it's Congress who writes the check. That's right. At the end of the day. So consider 1989, the 20th, July 20th, the 20th anniversary of the moon landing. Who was the then sitting president? Uh, I don't know. What, what, Herbert what, Walker. George Herbert Walker Bush. George Herbert he Walker Bush. He goes to the steps of the Air and Space Museum, delivers a speech not fundamentally different from Kennedy's speech. We're Americans. We're explorers. Columbus set sail. This is our time. We will put men on Mars. And have a space station. We'll have us build a space station, and we will. This he was trying to give a Kennedy speech. Right. Okay. Fell flat on his face. Now, why people said, "Well, because he's not Kennedy." Mm -hmm. I beg to differ. Okay. Not that he isn't not Kennedy. Right. That sentence makes sense. Here. That's correct. Okay. He isn't not Kennedy. <laughs> no, he. Well, he isn't Kennedy. It, it didn't work. Not because he isn't Kennedy. Right. I claim it didn't work because. Do you remember what happened in 1989? Uh, I don't know. Peace broke out. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Peace broke out in Europe. That's a terrible thing. That is the collapse of the Soviet Empire. That's right. That's that is like... the, the tear, tear down the wall. The wall came down in 1989. All of a sudden, our motivation for our military might, the very thing that drove who and what we were right. as the carriers of freedom and the American way in the, in the face of evil communists, it all evaporated Ugh. that year. And he's trying to give a speech to get people to go to Mars in the absence of a mortal enemy. Right. So we would have either needed Martians... <laughs> Uh, That'd be the best. That would have been the best. The best. Right. We, we either needed Martians. Evil or, Martians. Evil yeah. Martians. Not E.T. Like right. E.T. Exactly. No, no, yeah. 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 We're not, yeah. Wouldn't it be cool if E.T. came out, guns drawn? That'd be awesome. <laughs> and he shot Elliot or whatever the hell that was. Yeah, that's the way it ends. You know what I mean? <laughs> E.T. go home. Mm. Yeah, but first... <laughs> <laughs> we must test our ray guns right, on you. Right, <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, so really the uh, competition. No competition. Uh, no, uh, it's not only competition, because you can do that, and, yes, and still succeed, but the greatest competition our species knows is the threat of death from someone true. who might out-compete you right. in a way that would kill you. So I claim that the biggest reason that failed was not because... Bush 
lacked the charisma of Kennedy. What he happened is he lacked the Cold War. Right. So, and, and by the way, he proposed, you know what it was? You know what it was? He said, this will be a what, 25 year, I forgot the exact time interval, 25 year plan. And uh, and it would be, you know, 25, 30 year plan. And it'll cost a trillion dollars. Whoa. Okay, so people freaked. Right, and that was the end of that right there. Okay, or, or half a trillion dollars. Half a, tri half a trillion dollars. Okay. Is that, oh, that's better. <laughs> no, listen, half a trillion. I'm like, all right, okay, we can work with that. <laughs> but here's the thing. If you took NASA's budget at the time, mm -hmm. which is between 15 and $20 billion in today's annual budget, and then you multiply that over 30 years, right? you get half a trillion half dollars. A trillion dollars. So it, we already are allocating half a trillion dollars to NASA over that same amount of time. Right. So to say that's DOA because it's too much money, that's a false argument. Right. NASA was already, you might have to retool NASA with its budget, mm -hmm. but it was a false argument to think it's too much money. That's all. So, so, so I'm unconvinced by people saying that George Herbert Walker Bush was absent the charisma of Kennedy. So, so well, I mean, I, I don't. So I don't think it has anything to do with politicians. Right. It has to do with whether we think we're going to die. Okay. There you, and there you have it. Uh, by the way, just to let you know, you are going to die. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Sorry. <laughs> so we should uh, we should do it irrespective. Uh, I think that if we really want to go to Mars, die by unnatural causes. There you go. Mm -hmm. we, but if we really want to go to Mars, we should. Um, we scientists should get together. Mm -hmm. And um, in a, in in a uh, this in a somewhat conspiratorial way, uh, tell the world that there's oil on Mars. Yeah, but then we be we be lying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we go to Mars. Do you know why there's oil? Or that be there's terrorists on Mars. Do you know why there's oil on Earth? Because we have life on Earth, right. right? And so maybe okay, maybe there was a period. There's an episode of Mars where there was life. Right. All that life sunk down, and then it made oil. So that'd be cool. That would be cool. We'd go to Mars and get oil, and we'd be there next week. But what I but what I joke about is we should go to China and go psst, go tell the leaders of China. Psst, can you leak? A memo. Don't, don't be true. Don't have to be true. Just leak a memo saying you want to put military bases on Mars. Boom, that's it. We're done. There you go. We're on Mars. We're on Mars. In, in 10 months. 10 months. One month to, right. to fund, design, build the spacecraft. Nine months to get there. Next, Star Talk veteran author Mary Roach joined us in our seventh season to help us dig into the science of humans at war. Comedic co-host Chuck Nice joins us in studio to ask us your fan-submitted questions. Okay, Christian Prisbalik from Twitter uh, says this. Uh, do vets of armed combat face a disproportionate number of chronic health issues and does race play a role or, or as well as class? So class and race, do they play a role in, in the uh, chronic health issues that vets face? And do vets face more chronic health issues than anyone else by virtue of being a vet? I would have, yeah. yeah, yeah. There's a tremendous amount. I mean, just like just starting with hearing the number one VA expense, hearing loss. Really? Come away with yeah. I mean, it's not just it is not just rifle uh, bombs going off and rifle fire. It's steady state noise. Like you're in a, a Black Hawk helicopter, right. which is like 106 decibels, and you're in. Right, yeah. And so they, and then they have hearing protection. Chuck's Thanks. imitating a helicopter. Is he like that? Yeah. I like that. Yeah, yeah. Can you do a uh, an M16? Uh, uh, well, M16 is a little bit more staccato, so it's... But M16, the rifle. Sounds yeah. like a duck. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I'm no, not but then there's the Huey from Vietnam. 
No, no. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a, it was yeah, a, that's... it was a it had a pulse it was a pulsing pulsing sound. So you're saying the yeah. consistent the oh right because persistently it's... being persistently bathed in high decibel sound. Just Even beyond bad. just whether yeah. you were near an explosion, right? And and the other problem is that when the uh, when the noise, when things go kinetic, when there's fire, you know, when there's like you, there's no warning, you don't have time to go. Roll down my foam ear plug and pull my <laughs> outer ear back and put right. that. You know, you, there's just not time, and they're not going to wear that stuff all the time because you lose your situational awareness. You can't hear somebody shouting, "Get down!" Hurt somebody over there. So they uh, they've tried to do yes. that in some movies. Well, which... they have. Yeah, they have. Special operations is this really cool. You bionic hearing. It's so cool. It's a headset, and it. Uh, attenuates the loud noises. So it changes and, the, the right. The so the loud stuff gets quieter, and the quiet the stuff, stuff is amplified. Louder. So right. you're like the bionic. I was it's like did it did it. So you could hear across the room. Yeah, that was no, that was the eye. What you're doing? Was that the eye? That was the eye. That was the ear. That was the ear. Okay, I think you're right. Yeah, you know, Tammy Summers had the ear. She had the ear. Now she's selling mattresses. Late night TV. Can you so, hear me now? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, okay, so that's interesting. So these, so, so. Anyway, yeah, but that's just, that's the biggest one. But then, um, yeah, uh, you, you got a like, traumatic brain injury and you got, yes. and, plus, and orth, orthopedic stuff. I mean, if you're in a vehicle that is designed to withstand an IED going off, I mean, you'll survive, you, you survive, but you, you, you could, like the, the bottom of it would come up and slam into the right. foot and the pelvis and the spine. Speaking of that. Kinds of, uh, just wear and tear on your body, even if you're not blown up. So speaking yeah. of that, and this question is from... Right, so these uh, are veterans okay. that have been in combat, right? Yes. Uh, just yes. veterans, generic veteran. Right, right. Because right. right. most veterans have not been in combat. Uh, right. So... Oh, so yeah. do they have more? Well, I, uh, I don't know. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know... We but presume it's combat veterans. Well, yeah, we would have to assume yeah. because, I mean, I mean, uh, I'm going to say carpal tunnel doesn't count. <laughs> I've been sitting at this desk filling out these reports for weeks. <laughs> My wrists are killing me. Actually, I have this book called Dear... Dear America, which is a collection of letters home from Vietnam right. that was collected before they made a Vietnam memorial here in lower Manhattan. And so on the memorial are, are, these, are subsets of these letters. Wow. The book is all of them. That's cool. And, and just to your point, Mary, these are letters from all manner of servicemen serving in Vietnam. And there's some talking about like their friends getting blown up in front of them and, right. and, and wading through the muck and mire and the mosquitoes. Right. And then there's another letter of someone who's in a in a in an office right. in Vietnam, saying, "I can't, you know, <laughs> I don't want to laugh, but it's so hot in here. It's almost ninety four degrees, <laughs> and the fan doesn't work. I, th these working conditions are unbearable. They're unbe it's like, do you have any idea what's going on exactly. <laughs> around you? Around you? Right. Yeah. My typewriter Six. keys are sticking. <laughs> yeah. The humidity. Like, so I think it's, it's your, your biggest problem is your biggest problem. That's right. really what that is. Yeah. yeah. Whatever your biggest problem is, that's your biggest problem. Wow, that's cool. Um, Chuck, how many how many questions can you squeeze into this? All right. You know what? Try it. Here's, go. Here's the deal. I'm gonna we're gonna go philosophical. Less Olenhausa. Olenhausa says. Um, do you think there can be, or ever has been, something that can unite humans so effectively as war? What a profound Ooh. question. Mars mission. Ooh, Ooh look at you yeah. with the Mars mission. Ooh. Landing a human Mars mission. Everybody's going to tune into that, right? Mm. Don't you think? Mm. I don't know. Mm. Well, so, I, so I, let me agree and Go add ahead. to that. So I've thought a lot about things that unite 
humanity. Okay. So one of them is war, which is the largest organized unification of humans that we experience. Nothing mobilizes us like a good war. Exactly. And what odd thing is that it mobilizes us against one another, but right. it's nonetheless mobilizing. Another one is the Olympics. True. And another is the World Cup. Which, by the way, is a metaphor for war. Yes, it is, actually. <laughs> and so, too, is the World Cup. Exactly. Uh, except you don't end up dead at the end of it. <laughs> right. So, the World Cup, the Olympics, and the International Space Station. Okay. When you look at the cost of the International Space Station and the number of countries involved, it is the greatest collaboration of nations outside of the waging of war. Mm, really? You look at just the total yeah. investment that has gone in it, basically $3 billion a year plus. So, yeah, yes. So I agree landing on Mars could do that if it's done as a, as as a, a global national yeah, I mean, consortium. Exactly. As it's done, Which it's it a, would be, wouldn't it? I mean, don't you think? It can be, but I don't have enough confidence yeah. in the human species to think yeah. that we wouldn't do it out of competitive yeah, urges like rather than moon, cooperative yeah. urges. So you're saying that mm -hmm. if we make it a reality show competition between countries, we're more apt to go to Mars than if we were just to wait for us to finally My come together. My feeling is that your urge to be innovative is greater stimulated when you're in competition than when you're in cooperation. That's my feeling here. Okay. Mm -hmm. As capitalism at its best reveals. Where right, you right. wanna, you want, I want your money I don't want you to give your money to the other person. So now that competition drives me to be better than there the is. other guy. There it is. Gotcha. There it is. Welcome back to Star Talk Radio. I'm your host, Neil deGrasse Tyson, and you've been listening to our special time capsule episode. We've sent out a survey to all our fans, as we do every season, and you replied with your favorite episodes, favorite guests, and favorite co-hosts. On this next episode of Cosmic Queries, I'm joined in studio by co-host Eugene Merman and the founder of Skeptic Magazine and author of The Moral Arc, Michael Shermer. You asked us your questions about the intersection of science and morality. So let's take a listen at where that conversation went. So, so here's uh, Josh I on Twitter asks, if we found life on other worlds, how would that affect the way, like, the way we look at life on our world? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so let me, let me try to shape that. So if we find aliens and they have a different social contract with one another, are we in a position to say, no, that is morally low. We have a higher moral fiber. Here's what you should do. That's kind of what Star Trek did every mm -hmm. now. The, you know, the prime directive is don't interfere with mm -hmm. with the civilization, but they yeah. always did. Yeah, yeah that'd be a dull show. <laughs> oh, these people are awful. We should go. <laughs> these Greek-dressed aliens are so sexual. Goodbye. I saw that when they all went togas. I think yeah, one it's of like them. half the episodes of the series. <laughs> yes. <laughs> togas and miniskirts. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. How unusual miniskirt. that they've adopted the fashion of the 60s <laughs> and 5,000 years yeah. before that. <laughs> Yes. So, so is there? Um, is, well, two two things. Is, I think. is this is this moral arc something that is go, not only goes beyond our species? I think so. I speculate. That's audacious, the, it, you know. Oh, uh, well, I know, but oh you, you got to think big. Now, how many aliens have you talked to? <laughs> Six. <laughs> <laughs> Self-identified. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's see. My wife's from Germany. Is that an alien? Is yeah, that yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, you have to be an uh, extraterrestrial alien. Oh, yes. I say extraterrestrial. Okay, uh -huh. yeah. 
Well, so I do speculate about this at the last chapter of the, toward the end of the moral arc, that what if we, if we encountered aliens, would they be good or evil? As you know, Stephen Hawking came out with that statement, you know, I think the aliens will be evil, they'll conquer us, they'll be colonialists, and so on. I argue just the opposite. You can't become a viable spacefaring civilization, say a type 2 civilization, and be like the Romans or the Nazis or, you know, some conquering imperialistic, you know, 18th century, you know, constantly a war type So you, your, your claim is Battlefield Earth is unrealistic. Yes, that's right, yeah. <laughs> I think I think really you'd have to be a peaceful, more cooperative. You'd be more well, like part of that argument, world. No, no. Part of that argument is if you are that expansionist, and everyone feels that way about being expansionist, and you fight wars to accomplish it, as you start colonizing planets, your expansionist attitudes then conflict with one another, right? And you basically self-destruct, right? So there's got to be some sense of peace and cooperation deep within how you function as a species to not uh, implode right. under, under your own the shortcomings so of the thing that got you there in the first place. So, so, so uh, Stephen Hawking said that because advanced civilizations, when they go to a new place, generally do attack them. Yeah, yeah. Are there so, examples so, yeah, that that isn't that the case on, on Earth? actual knowledge of how humans treat one another, right. not on any have real knowledge treated. he could have, have treated, yes. yeah. not on any real knowledge he acquired from aliens. Right. This is a point. And I, and I, I lean towards you, Michael, yeah. on this. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, w you know, when Putin uh, took over that portion of Ukraine, that was very unusual. And it's really the first time any borders have been redrawn of it w with any significance in decades. It's really unusual now for countries to, like, uh, expand bust their territory in. and yeah. bust in and take stuff. You know, right. And, and it's that's, more likely that just there's just regular war. And besides, the aliens are going to traverse the vast instances of interstellar space and come here and take our coal. Right. I mean, <laughs> surely their technologies have gone beyond, you know, fossil fuels by the time you know they right. get here but maybe they want all our pretty birds <laughs> martin bad asks uh on twitter how has our moral standing affected the pace and direction of scientific discoveries oh in the uh, opposite direction well I, I i i do think a more open society where there's more liberties and freedom freedom of speech especially uh and especially freedom for uh, you know women to be involved and minorities and so on all that it just makes science more appealing and more people involved in all the different scientific enterprises. So then I think it becomes sort of a feedback loop. You know, more science and reason is good for morality. More just and open society is more op conducive to science. But how about some of the experiments that you, you, you might say, why are you doing that? For example, uh, if you can get the DNA from a, a mammoth that just got thawed out from a receding glacier line mm -hmm. and then clone it and then create a mammoth in modern times. And I always joke that uh, how unfortunate for the mammoth because he was just fine for the Ice Age, and now bring him out just in time for global warming. <laughs> how cruel can you be? Well, but, you put, well, well the, Canada. Can you, yeah, you leave them in Canada? There's plenty of room up oh, there. Yeah. <laughs> you plunk them down at the right latitude. Yeah, that's good, right. Good yeah. answer. Maybe you put them all at the top of Everest. <laughs> I bet it's quite cold. Siberia, there's plenty of space up there. Lots good of answer. I had not thought <laughs> of right. that. Okay, that's my first one. Because they couldn't get there before because they, they yeah, would ultimately yeah. be broken off. Now, the now they, we can I mean, drop the, them out of airplanes. I mean, the Canadian population is decreasing, as is the Russian population, so more mammoths. Okay, so that's good. Another one is I was speaking with Richard Dawkins. And he said something that, while I agreed with it, I didn't want to agree with it. He said, if we have the power of, of cloning from any genetic sequence, then he would be interested in creating the common ancestor between us and chimpanzees. Mm -hmm. 
I think that would that, be, if you did that, yeah. it means a chimp could mate with that as well as humans. That would be so much fun. <laughs> no, that's just, I can only imagine what, the, no, how said, popular on the internet that would become. No, no, I'm just saying, when he said that, it was like, what? why would you? Right. What? It would be under what? specific conditions. Yeah, so is that morality or is that oh, just yeah, that, ethics? Okay, there would be a moral question. That is, is, or is it ethics? That is, is it the same thing? That, that is, do they have rights? So I, I think in order to allow that ethically, we would have to grant the offspring. Right. You know, the, and the, then it yeah, would have right. to choose who it mated with. Right. Right. You know, there was a there was a there was a a, a novel, a French novel in nineteen fifties called You Shall Know Them by an author named Vercors, V E R C O R S. It it, and the story opens with this scientist who kills his son or something like yeah, kills his son and then, you know, he calls the police, I've murdered my son, the police show up, and he's basically mated with a female chimp and had an offspring and killed it. And now he's on trial for for what? For murdering what is it? Is it a right. human or is it a okay? So that 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 got into the character. You know, what are the characteristics of a human? This is back in the day. You know, are chimps humans? And mm-hmm. do they have tools, mm-hmm. language, reason? Um, you know, that kind of thing. But you know, as as um, as Jeremy Bentham pointed out, as I, I talk about in the moral arc, that it isn't can they reason or can they talk? Can they feel and suffer? So always our moral consideration for other animals, uh, if, including possible mm-hmm. hybrids or a clone, would be, you know, are, are they going to suffer by us bringing them into existence? If they have a good life, then why not? Right. Okay, so then right. we, can, we can diversify the very species sure. that we ever consider and to that be human. I mean, if, if, we, if, if we explore space... It would be like uh, X-Men. It would have other kinds of... That would be really fun. There's, <laughs> and nothing ever goes wrong in the X-Men universe, <laughs> so I would like more of that. <laughs> Um, wait, so would this he creature has a be point. able to, yeah, got be a good able point. to learn right. and but speak? I retract. I retract it. Yeah. <laughs> would it be able to learn and speak and sort of, it'd be... Well, that's what, uh, I mean, what Richard is after there is, well, what Richard can Dawkins, they, yeah, yeah. What can yeah. they do? What, uh, do they yeah. have language Can or they not? throw parties? Okay, so the morality <laughs> is not whether you did that experiment. The morality is the product of that experiment needs to be yeah. reckon, reckoned as someone who is... Uh, uh, part of the citizenry of right. The, Let's the give system. them a seat in the That's House right. of Representatives. Yeah, I think well, that would be <laughs> a reasonable and fair thing to do. That, they may be a little smarter than the current. current <laughs> they might. Uh, right, so but same thing with the mammoths. I mean, we shouldn't bring them back if we if we don't have any place to put them. They can't live a normal life. Right. Well, we can hunt them. Well, <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're winding down our time capsule show here on Star Talk, but. First, let's remember one of your favorite episodes. Comedian Eliza Schlesinger joined us as my co-host when she reached into our galactic grab bag of cosmic queries, and we answered some of your fan questions. You know how long I've spent staring at the cosmos wondering where my Uber is? <laughs> I've spent a lot of time in space. <laughs> uh, that brings to mind, if, we, if, if, if space travel becomes a thing... Yeah. We, we would need Uber spacecraft. Yeah. That would be interesting. College kids all over the place would be like, I got a great way to make some money. Yep. And the kid, there's no collisions. Uh, yeah, actually, it's much harder to collide in, if you're moving in three dimensions than if you're only moving in two. I say this all the time. <laughs> I say this no, all no, the no, time. No, it's, it's a profound fact. Yeah. So think about traffic jams. You're in a traffic jam because you're on a road mm-hmm. and you can't go over or... On a single plane. You're in a, not only on your single plane, on a road, you're on a one-dimensional path. Right. Right. T- typically, there's more than one lane, though. Regardless, if you're stuck in traffic, all you have to do is go above or below. Introduce another dimension, you can pass all the traffic like this. And that's why we need space cars. <laughs> space cars. In the future, they always have them going through buildings. I know. That, that was my future that we 
tried to come up with and failed. Like, oh, like, so the fifth element was your idea. <laughs> All those cabs well, and stuff. Flying cars. We, you know, we've been dreaming of flying cars since the 1950s. You know, I know. And it will be a thing and it's going to be terrible. But a flying car is no different from having a lot of bridges and tunnels. Right. Uh, it allows you to go above and below. It's a lot different in that there's nothing holding you to where you are. You got a bridge, you have to stay on that bridge. A flying car is just like, let's just yeah. see. However, if the if the engine brakes of a flying car, you are falling brick. True. Right? That's the difference between being on a bridge or in a tunnel. Right. Okay. So there's pros and cons. Factor. We'll yes. say there's but pros and, and cons. In fact, I think we do have flying cars that are called helicopters. Yeah, but the really helicopter is so expensive. <laughs> guys, oh, that's how I got God, here. Yes. <laughs> I've actually had that thought. I'm like, is there a way to get a helicopter? And I feel like these statistics for helicopters, I feel like they crash a lot. Well, because when the motor goes out, it's, you know, in a plane, if the engines die, it's a glider. For, yeah. And a helicopter, if the engines die. Straight down. It goes straight down. It shouldn't be an option that the engines die. Like, that just shouldn't be an option. <laughs> Shit happens. Right. Now. Right? So they're going to have to have, like, uh, like, meteoroid insurance or, like, asteroid insurance. Uh, if you if you fly through space and you get hit by one, yeah, that, like farmers, like you better cover. That would that. be one. That'd be I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, yeah, you could sure. be hit by a micrometeorite going five miles per second. That like, that would ruin your day. Yeah, debris yeah. from like our last space shuttles. That happens oh, sorry, too. It was an engine part. It's <laughs> a daisy. Okay, fair enough. So what do you have? Okay, so do do I do the. Uh, Patreon page. Well, that's your first time doing this. Yes, oh, I hope sorry. it's not your. I hope it's not your last time. I hope it's not my last as well. Okay, we'll be the. the we'll judge that. We'll be the judge of that. So that's why I gave you the doe eyes, trying to flirt my way, which has not gotten me far. Okay. <laughs> so, so go for it. These first. Yeah. So okay, so what on. happens? We have the, our, our Patreon supporters. Yes. Uh, one of the guarantees they get if if they ask a question for Cosmic Queries, then we get to ask their questions first. Okay, so I'm going to ask this one because there was so. I'm going to read it with the emphasis mm -hmm. and the enthusiasm and the fervor that I feel they wrote this with. Good, go for okay. it. Feel, feel them. Yeah. Yes. All right. Also, I think this person's also a fellow Jew. You're not Jewish, I am. Okay, here we go. Uh, from Michael Cohen in Augusta, Georgia. Which is weird that there's a Jew there. <laughs> Hello, Dr. Tyson! This question burns in my mind. I asked NASA and wasn't satisfied with their answer. Ooh. If light can't escape a black hole, then doesn't that mean that the escape velocity of a black hole beyond the event horizon exceeds the speed of light itself? Could black holes be the exception to the speed of light as we know it? Thank you, at Cosmic Cohen. Wow, that was that was beautiful. Thank you. That was totally you embodied whoever that Cohen person is. I omitted the fact that you misused then instead of then. No big deal. Did I say then? Oh no, he did. Oh, okay. Pointing out the one part that I understand, which is literature. He'd be nice. He's the one Jew in Augusta, Georgia. What? And so. represent. <laughs> okay, that was the question about. So yeah, so it's uh, the question is stated accurately. There are two ways to think about the black hole. One of them is that beyond. Inside the event horizon, the escape velocity is greater than the speed of light. That's kind of a classical way to think about it. But what has actually happened is the space-time curvature has basically closed in on itself. There is no path out of the black hole that you can take no matter what. And so not even a beam of light can get out. So that is all true. You can't get out. By the way, just because the speed of light required... Just because to get out of a black hole requires you travel faster than light doesn't mean that you are. And so Einstein- Doesn't mean you can't. No, doesn't mean you can. Right, right, right. So we're all cool. Relativity is fine. So it's really hypothetical because you physically can't do it. Correct. So it's all in theory. There is no known law of physics or observation that would enable you to escape a black hole. Not even if you take the subway. Right, correct. So, so yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm disappointed that they couldn't get a good answer from NASA. I wonder where they ask. I feel like NASA was like, please stop tweeting at us. <laughs> like the Russians are hot on our tail. We've okay. got bigger things to deal with. 
Please stop. Here's a mug and a hat. How, how did you know that? The Russians are Because they're always hot on our tail. Haven't you been <laughs> to the movies? Okay. Would you like a real question? Uh, anything. Yeah. Give me whatever you got. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, this one's, is The Martian based on a true story? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was fine. Uh, okay. This one's a good one. I'm not authorized to answer that question. <laughs> I saw that movie and I was like, I guarantee if I tweet this, people will be like, oh my God, I thought so. I read the book. All right. This is from Jeff Jurchin. Uh, at Jeff Jurchin. Does space smell? Ooh. Yeah. So I, I once tweeted an answer to that question. So somebody is not a follower. Apparently. So you know what? Go back and look it up because you're lazy and there's no lazy in space. There's no lays in space. So here's what happens. Uh, smell is a chemical phenomenon mm-hmm. and it involves molecules interacting with your 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 olfactory glands. Mm-hmm. And in, in the vacuum of space where there's not insufficient molecules to trigger that, no, you're not smelling a damn thing. So it's, it has to do with the molecules outside and inside. It's not just... Well, molecules are outside, they come inside, and then you have exactly. smell what was outside, right? You're inhaling. So now here's a way to smell something. If you face the sun and the sun starts singeing your 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 skin on your face, then you'll then it'll burn, and then yeah. you'll smell the burning flesh. How long are you facing the sun, though? Um, and how close are you saying? You have to be space? if you're close enough, and you make this. Yeah, it'll you'll you'll get singed, and you'll smell you'll smell the the singed outer skin layers. That's horrific. I'm just saying, you want to smell something in space. That's how you smell something. You've been listening to Star Talk Radio, and I've been your host, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Join us next time when we kick off a brand new season eight with more science, more comedy, and more pop culture. Thanks for being with us all year. That's all for now, and as always, I bid you to keep looking up.